Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think stores have become more important to us, ironically enough, during the pandemic. We just opened an enormous store called House of Sport, which is leaning into experiences. So we have a rock climbing wall in the House of Sport. We have a track and field where we can have competitions. We're going to actually make it an ice rink over the winter. That's a huge part of our brick and mortar strategy as well, is to give reasons for people to come to the store. We still think we've got a lot of opportunity to advocate for the female athletes, make sure that they have product that isn't just what we call pink it and shrink it. We're really working to advocate for that group. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Sarah Hopstetter, president of Profitero. And I'm Rachel Tipograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. The ball's in their court. Full court press. Drop the ball. In your wheelhouse. You know, we could probably go on with this locker room talk forever, but how awesome is it that one of the biggest sporting good retailers in the world, Dick's Sporting Goods, is currently being led by Lauren Hobart? It is truly amazing to watch how she led the company through basically a 48-hour omni-channel transformation, which made them more ready for the pandemic than most retailers. It's completely wild when you hear Lauren talk and just the scrappiness that they brought to the infrastructure to enable curbside pickup and just reorient the entire company towards what it means to service customers in a pandemic world. And we both know that that ends up being a competitive advantage if you can figure it out the right way against the biggest elephant in the room, Amazon. A lot of the idea about brick and mortar very much ties to the perspective that you bring. Like if you look at Tarek from Petco, he was looking about at how he was transforming their brick and mortar experience from just being a place to shop to being a full pet experience. Mm -hmm. And Lauren is doing the same at Dick's. There are some experiments that Walmart is doing. So what the world looked at as a liability not too long ago can really be an asset if you think beyond aisles and shelves and all that kind of old school shopping stuff. Yeah, it's funny. In the darling direct-to-consumer brand era, I always used to say, Jeff Bezos, would you ever text him for beauty tips? And the answer was absolutely not. But Emily Weiss at Glossier, 100% you would. (laughs) I could just see myself texting Jeff Bezos saying like, do you have any recommendations on hair care products for women with curly hair? (laughs) (laughs) Or I I suffer from rosacea, Jeff. Um, no, but the, the big thing is, is like, what does your brand have the permission to do that Mr. Jeff Bezos does not? And, you know, the other thing that Lauren ends up bringing up that's really similar to our episode with Tarek at Petco was just the emphasis on local distribution. What it means when you actually have hundreds to thousands of local stores and your ability to deliver inventory to consumers much faster. 
than an Amazon. The infrastructure is all there. Again, it just ties back to the whole idea of perspective. Like if you look at those locations as fulfillment centers, Dix is like totally kicking butt as compared to so many others. And especially because so many of the products in health and fitness are not your typical great economical shipping solutions. It's totally true. Of course, there's the tailwinds of the pandemic and We know that categories like health and fitness equipment over the last 12 months is nearly doubled. At some point in 2020, I think it was just between the months of March and October, it became a $2.3 billion increase during the pandemic, which is pretty phenomenal. But the other thing that's so interesting that we get to hear from Lauren about is that her background is very similar to our listener, Sarah. You know, she spent nearly two decades at PepsiCo. She actually started in the finance department and then moved her way to marketing because she saw that's where the decisions were being made. And to have a CPG executive then go retail, CMO, digital transformation, and eventually the CEO, I feel like Lauren has the pedigree that so many of our listeners aspire to have. Yeah. So if you want to be a CEO and you're in e-com or marketing or CPG, have a listen to Lauren Hobart. Lauren, thank you so much for making time for Sarah and I today. Gosh, thank you for having me, guys. 2020, obviously a year none of us will ever forget. Yet Dick Sporting Goods had a, a pretty phenomenal year. And there was also just major changes in the way that consumers thought about their health, wellness, at-home fitness. When I think of Dick's growing up in Northern New Jersey, I always think about the company as brick and mortar first. How have you made the shift during 2020 to a different type of retail environment? Yeah, 2020 was, as you say, a year like no other for the whole world. We voluntarily closed our stores. And you're right, we've always had a large brick and mortar presence. But for the past decades, we've been investing also in our digital technologies and our website and buy online pickup in store capabilities. So we had omni-channel capabilities. But when the stores closed, we sort of made a decision on a Sunday that we were going to close the stores that Wednesday across the country. We had an urgent need to find a different way to serve our customers who we call athletes. And so kudos to our our technology team somehow was able to spin up curbside in 48 hours. So that by the time we had closed the stores, that we had a curbside option available. When you drove up to the store, there was no text, I'm here. It was was literally, call this phone number, and teammates were running out and trying to find the car, but it worked. And it totally transformed both the way consumers shop at Dick's Sporting Goods online and our e-commerce curbside capability is still really doing incredibly well. But it also changed our company, I think, because it was a moment where technology came in and really saved the day in such a palpable, visible way that it sort of unlocked a whole bunch of thinking about innovation. And it just made us much stronger in the end. It's really fascinating to hear that story. People that listen to the podcast, many of them work for very big companies and the ability to pivot on a dime over the course of 48 hours Absolutely exceptional. And so the ability to just say, okay, MVP is name of the game today for a company as established as yours. That's got to be a tough pill to swallow even for you in a leadership position to say, okay, this is a little bit unusual. We're going to give it a shot. Those moments were actually some of the most incredible moments in that we were doing so well before the pandemic. We we had done well. And then all of a sudden, the closing our doors, 
potentially not being able to sell product to many people, at least not within a reasonable amount of time, was so threatening that the entire company got on board in such an incredibly passionate way. And I, I think that's one of the biggest lessons for me during the pandemic is that when you have a crisis, when you have a burning platform, you can move mountains. So yes, we all got uncomfortable with scrappy, we call it. We were very scrappy. We got uncomfortable with the fact that we weren't going to like this exactly as the perfect consumer experience, but it took probably 12 to 18 months off of a normal development cycle. And, it, and then we iterated and and did constant improvements. Every day we were releasing new improvements. It was the perfect case study in how to really transform and, and what the power of focus and technology can do, but really focused efforts. So Lauren, Sarah and I both run software companies. What's so important in software development is the feedback loop from the end user. Yep. So I'm curious, like you have this brick and mortar environment where you're doing digital transformation, like curbside pickup. How was the feedback from the ground, the parking lot, making it back to corporate? Oh, in every different way. We've always had a, an ability for people to call and give feedback. But the other sort of secret weapon that we have is our teammates. The technology team and our teammates in the stores are two of the closest groups that we have. So there's constant feedback. So we were getting consumer feedback. We could see points of frustration. They might call to complain or, or something. They, but, but oftentimes the consumer won't take the time to tell you what's wrong. Hmm. Our technology team was completely engaged with our store teammates every day, just taking feedback, hearing issues, launching new capabilities, uh, and actually trying to solve their pain points too. I mean, there were things like doing a return was was something that a, a customer wanted, of course, right? It, we're in a pandemic, the doors are closed, you want to do a return. And the teammates were sharing that feedback. And, and then they were solving kind of how could we do this? The customer can't come in the store, but the teammate could run back in the store. So again, very scrappy at the beginning, we're opening the POS and everything was just a complete partnership and just iterative journey. That's fascinating. When you think about the idea of the compression or never letting a, a good crisis go to waste, if you will. Yes. Here we are a year plus later, world has been opening over time. Obviously, your stores are open again. And I hope we have some time in a, in a bit to talk about the house of sport. But as you look at that, how do you see the evolution of the shopper journey? Like what's actually going to start happening in terms of the way you guys believe people are going to start shopping? And what are you doing to prepare for it and not lose that sense of, to use your word, scrappiness? Losing the scrappiness is always my concern, by the way, but we're actively working on trying to keep that as a big part of our culture and not wait for perfect before we launch things. What's interesting also, I get asked a lot about, and, and prior to the pandemic, you know, is is brick and mortar really relevant? Is there is there a reason why people need brick and mortar? Is it all going away? You have brick and mortar stores, you have too many, they're too big. I mean, that's always the criticism. And what we found this year is Actually, there's such an important role for brick and mortar within the ecosystem that for retail, for us anyway, there is. The brick and mortar stores actually are the hub of this whole omni-channel destination. So it's not just from a consumer standpoint that you know many people are using the buy online, pick up and store the curbside option, but even the fact that we can expose inventory to the in-store shopper, but also ship it out the back for an e-commerce order, ship to home order is an incredible benefit for athletes everywhere because we can just expose so much more product and they can get it more quickly because we have these 750 points of distribution all over the country in our stores. 
I think stores have become more important to us, ironically enough, during the pandemic. And then, and then to your point, Sarah, we just opened an enormous store called House of Sport, which is leaning into experiences. So we have a rock climbing wall in the House of Sport. We have a field, a track and field where we can have competitions or just practice. We're going to actually make it an ice rink over the winter. So it's up in Rochester, New York, and it'll be cold up there. We have a health and wellness center. We have House of Cleats, you know, an homage to cleats, incredible experiences. And that's that's a huge part of our, our brick and mortar strategy as well, is to give reasons for people to come to the store, but also to leverage the store as part of this omnichannel ecosystem. I mean, that makes a ton of sense. We had uh, Tarek Hassan from uh, Petco. In theory, pet food is one of those things that's gone like really heavy duty e-com, but they looked at their real estate and they said, this isn't a liability, it's an asset. We're going to be the destination for pet health, wellness, care, beauty, what have you. And it's a very fascinating strategy. I even saw Walmart's been doing a couple of tests and learns where they have these gaming environments and it's like these mini gaming tournament locations. So going to a store becomes much more of an experience. And so it's an emotional connection, not necessarily just a physical one. Yes, absolutely. With House of Sports, do you put the same sort of in-store sales expectation on that environment compared to maybe the store on Route 17 in New Jersey? No, I would say House of Sport is elevated in every way from an experience standpoint, from a service standpoint, completely new connected fitting room experience so that that's a destination so people can come help you outfit. It's a trial place for us to try all kinds of new things, many of which will, if we are successful, we will pull out of the house of sport and bring back to your local store. It's just elevated in every single way, both from an assortment standpoint, service standpoint, experiential standpoint, the curbside experience. And we were able to build the store knowing that curbside was big. We found that out in the middle of the construction, but we were able to create an, a whole destination up at the front of the store to make it much easier for our teammates so they can be outside within seconds when somebody pulls up, which is everything's been elevated. One of the things that I've enjoyed so far about this conversation is I love the language that you've been using where you're calling consumers athletes, you're calling the in-store employees teammates. Yes. I know that there's Another initiative, and I'm wondering the nomenclature that you use around women and girls in sports. And I know that's a really big passion for you and a pull for the company. And I'm curious, like how you think about it, how you talk about women in sports internally uh, and where you believe that's going. Yes, you've caught on to something that I hadn't really focused on, but the names do make a difference, right? So we deliberately a year or two ago rewrote our vision, our common purpose, the reason we all come into work every day. And at that point, we did overtly start to call all of our customers athletes and all of our uh, employees became teammates. And that's just, that's how we speak now. By the way, it's the only place where anybody will call me an athlete. (laughs) I know, I know. And you are, everybody's an athlete. Everybody is. In my own special way. We take ourselves very seriously, but we actually view our common purpose as personally equipping all athletes to achieve their dreams by, you know, giving them confidence and excitement. So we're, we take it very seriously. We really, any athlete, Sarah, you are an athlete for sure. But then you flip to the women and girls initiative, and we just did this campaign really focusing on some of the passion that we have for women in sports and the and the women leaders at Dix who are really helping to drive that change. And the nomenclature there is uh, there's two types of of female athletes. We call them the athletic female and the female athlete. So the female athlete is the teen girl who's an athlete, maybe 13 to 18 years old, who's in the prime of, of sports. But the athletic female may be people like us and or her mom 
she has very different needs as well. So we look at them as two different consumers and we're trying constantly to elevate our game with all of them. I, I actually, I mean, we've made huge strides with the athletic female, just from a presentation standpoint, our, our private brand, Kalia uh, by Carrie Underwood has become an, a huge piece of our business. It's our number two women's brand. But on the sports side, we still think we've got a lot of opportunity to advocate for the female athletes, make sure that they have product that isn't just what we call pink it and shrink it. They don't have product designed for their bodies, for their feet. Specifically, it's a lot of men's product that's just been shrunk and it's very frustrating to us. So we're, we're really working to advocate for that group. Where are you seeing the pockets of growth right now for the female athletes? So like when I was a kid, it was all about soccer. Yeah. And then the next generation was lacrosse. Like yes. what's happening right now with the female athlete? Oh my gosh. The female athletes getting into everything. I think softball is probably our single biggest opportunity. Uh, mm. Millions of girls playing softball. And that's an area where we can, we can continue to step it up. Basketball is huge. And then there's the more traditional, you know, maybe you would call them more female sports, but things like volleyball, things like gymnastics, dance, actually have become pretty hardcore sports. Mm. These are not necessarily young girls wearing uh, sequins. It's hardcore athletic apparel and things that fit their needs. And they're very, very strong. Mm. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah. I was uh, a volleyball player in high school and I remember trying to find knee pads. Yeah. I mean, it was just like the hardest thing to, and of course this was pre-internet because, you know, I'm 90, but (laughs) the the idea behind it, everything about it was there wasn't even a pink and trinket mentality there. No, it was an afterthought. Oh, for sure. It was like these, you know, these boxy uniform shirts. You can never, you can never really get there. So I do believe volleyball to be a hardcore sport. I coached volleyball when I was in college. Volleyball is a hardcore sport. My daughter played it. My son played it. It's hardcore. It is. 100%. Lauren? Yes? What is the bravest thing that you've ever done? The bravest thing that I've ever done has to be, I mean, there's all kinds of personal stuff. It's very brave to get married and have kids and all that. But I think the most the most interesting professional brave moment was a huge moment for, for me and my family, which was when I joined Dick Sporting Goods. Because first of all, I had been in CPG for, I was at Pepsi for 14 years. I used to think I would stay till Pepsi till I died. I used to joke that I was going to die in my, in my share of Pepsi in a good way, like not, you know, that I wanted to be there forever. And I did. I love Pepsi. I still do. But when I when I did sort of take the opportunity to think about moving to Dick Sporting Goods, I it was very much not planned. I was very against leaving New York. I'm, my whole family's in New York. I had three young kids, a husband in New York who had a career and and we decided uh, just through the passion that I felt for the, our, our company's mission, our, the, the place we were in our growth trajectory, and the fact that I felt like there were so many untapped opportunities. And frankly, the connection that I had with Ed Stack, who's the founder and was the CEO until just recently, uh, he's still executive chairman and just the vision that he had and, and the American dream that this company represented. So I, I came home and talked to my husband and we agreed we were going to move to Pittsburgh and left amazing friends who we're still very, very close with and family who I'm still very, very close with. But I think that was the bravest. In hindsight, it was actually probably braver than I realized it was because I think I just took for granted that the CPG marketing skills would transfer over easily to retail. And the truth is, it is a completely different industry. And 
some of the skills that I knew best from Pepsi, you know, in terms of brand marketing and, and how to activate brands, I had to learn a whole new set of skill sets in retail about how to really drive traffic in and out every day. It was a completely different um, learning experience. Turned out to be perfect because I was able to bring the brand point of view to Dix while learning what they were really good at already, which was traffic driving. It was probably riskier than I realized moving. Just I, I could it could have not worked. It could have it could have been that I wouldn't have loved it or they wouldn't have loved me. I, I love the idea of kind of flipping the script of looking at things from both perspectives. Because when people do move from CPG to retail and back and forth, it's like CPG is so focused on the consumer and trying to figure out how to create that connection. But until very recently, especially with e-commerce, there was always a middleman. That middleman was the retailer. So being able to move into a different component of the journey, I think is pretty cool. And yes, remarkably brave. Like what advice would you have to CPG marketers who are let's say, either looking to move more into an operational role or just want to get a better degree of empathy when they're negotiating with their retailers? Hmm. I I have to step one step back to answer that question, which is that even within CPG, a company like a Pepsi was really great about giving you different experiences every two years, rotating, rotating, rotating. And I think you have to speak those experiences. So even at Pepsi, I started off in finance and strategic planning and then very surprisingly moved into marketing four years into my journey there, just because I thought that's where all the decisions were being made. I've always been open to just following what felt right. So then if you're at, if you're at CPG, I mean, I would get diverse experiences. I would, I would actually go partner with your retail partners. I mean, sometimes that group is different, you know, it's held off to the side it's count sales, whatever. And the brand marketing team gets brought in to do a dog and pony, but, you know, really try and immerse and, and see what the challenges are, what, what the consumer is saying. Uh, and have empathy for what the retailers are are trying to do as well. I think you can do it through the lens of that, the CPG. Well, Lauren, we now have hindsight. It did work out. Uh, it's phenomenal to see what you've been able to accomplish at Dix. And we're very excited to see you guys lead the way in terms of the future of omni-channel retail. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rachel. And thank you, Sarah. It's been great to talk to you. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. 
Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of Truth, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice, meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking. Touch of Truth is available wherever you listen to podcast new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there